From WEDU-PBS, this is Be More Unstoppable. Gulf Coast Jewish Family and Community Services is a non-sectarian, community-based Florida not-for-profit that has been serving Floridians since 1960. Their programs cover children and family services, workforce development, refugee services, and more. On this episode, we sit down with Dr. Sandra Bram, President and CEO of Gulf Coast JFCS, who shares with us how this organization is helping families stay together, helping people gain valuable life skills, and helping to maintain a quality of life for our senior population. We'll also learn about the CALL program, which is being developed in partnership with the St. Petersburg Police Department and is positively impacting the community when it comes to responding to emergency calls involving persons with mental and behavioral health issues. Separate and different from many other programs across the nation, our social workers are going out in pairs without police. And so the police are not far behind if they need to call them for backup, for help. But they're basically going in and of some 6,000 calls that we've seen since we've began, I believe the number is upwards of 80% of them are involving some type of mental or behavioral health. Through strong community partnerships, Gulf Coast JFCS is truly living up to their mission to protect the vulnerable, empower individuals, and strengthen families. Dr. Sandra Bram, President and CEO of Gulf Coast Jewish Family and Community Services, or Gulf Coast JFCS, welcome to our Be More Unstoppable podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited to talk to you today, not only about what your organization does, which, by the way, I feel like you guys do a little bit of everything for our community, but I'm excited to get to know you as a person as well, because you have such a beautiful and colorful history, 25 plus years in leadership. So I'm really looking forward to that and then also getting into some of the services that Gulf Coast JFCS offers. So let's just start off with what is exactly Gulf Coast Jewish Family and Community Services? Well, we are a large community-based organization, nonprofit. We are not religious. It's important for folks to know that because many times people think, well, you know, are you proselytizing? And it's like, no, it's just like you know, Catholic Charities, Lutheran Services, any other, founded by the Jewish community almost 50 years ago, a little more than 50 years ago, but we were incorporated um, almost 50 years ago. But we are not, uh, not sectarian. We basically serve all people from all faiths, all backgrounds, from babies to seniors, and we do a lot. We have, uh, I guess you would say, about seven pillars of services. Mm-hmm. And in each of those areas, we have a host of programs. And I think that's why people get lost in what we do. So when we say we do refugee resettlement, right, we may have programs for refugees that are coming from Afghanistan, from Ukraine, from the Congo, uh, depending on whatever that, you know, status is uh, for that particular time frame. Mm -hmm. And then we also have refugee youth programs, which is a different program. And then we have survivors of torture, which is another program under refugees. And so under refugee, we have refugee employment services. So under refugees, that pillar, we have five or six programs. 
And so we also have employment services, workforce development. Under workforce development, we have Tampa Bay Job Links. We have our non-custodial parent employment program. We have uh, youth employment services for youth transitioning out of foster care, et cetera, et cetera. I, yeah, right. I feel like when you look at <laughs> what Gulf Coast JFCS does, it's almost like looking at that giant chalkboard that you see on movies that has all of, yes. you know, almost like all the branches coming out, like a giant family tree. Mm-hmm. How many of the, like, the actual main programs do you so have? So the main areas mm-hmm. would be child welfare mm-hmm. and family services, Jewish family services, of course, and we support 250-plus Holocaust survivors in that program. We also um, have elder services. Uh, We have housing, affordable housing, low-income housing for seniors, and we have behavioral and mental health services. And I feel like I'm forgetting something. (laughs) You guys guys seem to do it all. Um, So... You guys cover so many things here in the Tampa Bay area, and most certainly in this episode, I would love to touch on especially the refugee services and a lot of the workforce development, um, because I feel like that's really important to folks nowadays. Those are are pretty hot topics with what is going on in our society. Um, Before we take a deep dive into those, however, I would love to sort of pick your brain on exactly what is it that brought you to Florida. So from what I understand, you Uh were the CEO of the largest YWCA in the nation. Is that correct? Yeah, I was there for almost 10 years. But my background is higher education. So I was in higher education for 17 years. And uh, my last job in higher education was as an associate vice provost for undergraduate studies at the University of Texas at El Paso. And I was literally called, for those of you who are spiritual, religious folks, it was uh, just something that was very clear that it was time for me to shift. Hmm. And that position was one that had been shown to me a few years prior that I was a fit for it. And it was just kind of an odd religious, spiritual experience. And I, you know, I'm, I'm writing a book about my life. And so for folks who, who, who are interested in that angelic interventions and that type of thing, it's, it's that type of story. So without getting into all those details, I will just tell you that I was called away from higher ed to go into the nonprofit world and became the CEO of the YWCA. And then I was recruited for this position here. Your reputation followed you and Florida came calling. Is that right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I guess you could say that. It was interesting. It was, again, one of those odd experiences, but certainly purposeful. It was just a great uh, process of interviewing for the position, visiting, and really seeing the opportunity to make such a huge difference in so many more lives and to have a bigger footprint to make a difference across the state of Florida. What was it about Gulf Coast JFCS that really caught your attention? Well, first after, you know, thinking, well, I'm not Jewish, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I began to research the company and, you know, looked at its history, looked at the challenges. I tend to find myself at organizations that are at a turning point that, need strong leadership, additional strategic thinking, investment. 
And so I looked at the history, looked at some of the challenges. And then, really honestly, I fell in love with the fact that the organization worked with children in foster care. I myself spent a couple of years in foster care growing up. And I always wanted to travel the world and never got the chance to do that. And I was like, well, here it's kind of like the world is coming to you because, you know, working with Holocaust survivors from across the world, working with refugees from across the world. And so it was the refugee programs, it was the Holocaust survivor programs, and it was the foster care that really drew me in, like I felt my life coming. Oh, and I'm sorry, the mental and behavioral health was another big piece of it. Uh, My mother passed away a couple of years ago because of COVID, and she had uh, suffered schizophrenia her whole life, which was part of the reason I landed in foster care. And so that mental behavioral health services also touched my heart because I just felt like it sort of took my whole being, and here's a way to sort of pour back into those areas that have poured into my life. That's amazing. We're speaking with Dr. Sandra Bram, CEO of Gulf Coast Jewish Family and Community Services. And we have so much to touch on, but you mentioned the growth of the organization. And when you came to Gulf Coast JFCS, they were at a pivotal point where they had some specific needs. In the last few years, you guys have grown immensely. Yes, we have. It was shocking uh, as we prepared our budget this year. Our chief financial officer said, okay, and here's the budget. And I looked at the bottom line and I'm like, where did this money come from? (laughs) And I want to be clear because it's not that there's a lot of money. There's a lot of programming and a lot of contracts. And so there is still greater need. The bigger your budget, the greater the need because none of the programs cover all of their costs. None of the programs cover 100% of the needs of the clients that you serve. That's why we have to fundraise. That's why we have to write grants. But in this case, I look back six years ago and we were a $32 million organization and we just put forth a budget that's right at $49 million. And it blew my mind. And they had to literally show me every single number (laughs) that went into that. And where's the growth coming from? Even the board was like, where's this money coming from? (laughs) But a lot of it, that growth has been in increased needs for our Holocaust survivors. It's been an increased significant need for refugees and uh, addressing the needs that we're seeing coming out of Afghanistan and Ukraine especially. We've been asked to expand that programming, and so we see that a lot. And then also our adoption services are growing also through our heart gallery. Let's talk about the refugee programs. It feels like under that umbrella, you have several programs that are helping refugees, including the Holocaust Survivor Program. So let's start with the Holocaust Survivor Program. Of course, you know, this is an aging population, and unfortunately, we're losing a lot of our survivors. But as they age, their needs uh, increase because they need more home health care. They need more support for dental work and more support, you know, for just everyday, everyday needs. And our job is to help them live with dignity in their final years. And so while the population may be declining in number, what we're finding is those youngest survivors, as they age, they come to us because they thought, well, maybe I don't need help. You know, I'm proud and I can take care of myself. Mm -hmm. But as they've aged, they need help. And so we consistently are seeing that same number of survivors year over year 
and we are receiving additional funds from the claims conference, uh, the German claims conference that funds Holocaust survivors and their needs to take care of that growing gap in services. And I'm excited because we were really struggling to meet those needs. And while we still struggle to meet those needs because they only cover a certain portion, we were fortunate to get a match grant uh, from an organization called Kavod Chef. They have awarded us up to $200,000 that we can then raise funds to match to try to fill that gap in survivor programming. And then uh, so if a person needs 40 hours a week of home health care, but they can only qualify for 20, then we can try to fill that gap through these match funds. So that's what's happening in the survivor community. And that's a partnership with the Federation of Florida's Gulf Coast. And the Tampa Federation also supports um, and helps us to do the fundraising for, for that program. On the general refugee side, between welcoming Afghans and Ukrainians, um, gosh, we went from three years ago supporting some 80 refugees mm-hmm. to right now we've seen more than 600 that we're working with at any given time. Just that are here between, in the Tampa Bay area. Just here in the Tampa Bay area, yes. So what is the process for refugees and what kind of services? Are there home placements? Are there like jobs? Let me just address just the whole refugee thing for a moment because I think there's huge misunderstanding. People generally don't know the difference between refugees, between asylees, between immigrants, between undocumented immigrants, et cetera, et cetera. So refugees, you know, when you are considered a refugee, Typically, your typical refugee has has left their country fleeing some persecution, uh, war, famine, drought, and they have to cross the border into another country first. Then they're picked up by the United Nations, who spends years, in most cases, vetting their case. And many of them sit in refugee camps with their families in a camp, which is, it could be you know, some desert area, some compound for 10 years waiting to be selected, chosen by some random country. They don't know where they're going to go. They don't have a choice. They can't say, I want to go to Europe. I want to go to New York. I want to go. They are chosen and then they are told where they're going. And then they're given a ticket to get here. Okay. And they have to pay the price of that ticket back. There is no free ride for refugees. And so they come here with very little, and they have 90 days to get on their feet. Imagine that. 90 days, you've got them in temporary housing. You're trying to find housing. You're trying to enroll the kids in school. And they're learning the language. And so then they can transition from that immediate 90 days into like a work transition program where we can extend some of that support to help them gain a job, get skills. But typically they've been in camps. What happened with Afghanistan and Ukraine is very different because it happened so quickly. I was going to ask, is that a situation where they were able to expedite refugees coming to the United States? That's exactly States? correct. They Wonderful. never went into a camp mm-hmm. setting and they were called labeled parolees, hmm. you know. And so with parolees, they come with a status of refugees and they're expedited. But it, it's almost even more traumatizing because yesterday 
they were in Afghanistan. In their homeland, and then here and they're And then today, a... they're here in the United States, and all the rules are different. Mm-hmm. They've had no preparation for education of your child. They've got to be in school. You know, what's domestic violence? The laws of this country. And there is a lot to help them transition. They need a lot of support. Um, so the services we provide address all of that. It also addresses the trauma. We also help them set up their home so when they get off the plane, we've got a place for them to go. And thanks to the generous donors throughout the region and the state, we've been able to set them up with basic household goods. They walk into the kitchen, they've got dishes and pots to cook and basic supply of food. And probably the most challenging thing with so many coming at once is the the timing that it takes for them to to, I mean, they're eligible for food stamps until they're working and getting on their feet. But the turnaround time is so long right now. What? And this is like the government post- takes long on something. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Even post-COVID, you know, yes. all the systems. If you think about how maybe bad it was to get unemployment mm-hmm. uh, going in Florida at the beginning of the COVID situation, now you exacerbate that by lengthening the, the, the amount of time right. that it takes just to get food stamps. So you've got volunteers, thank God for volunteers, running around trying to help us to do the grocery shopping, to deliver the food, to keep families fed. And it's not, it's not as simple as, oh, just go to the grocery store and buy your food. With what? Exactly. And since you did mention volunteers, is there a way for folks to get involved with specifically the refugee program? So it's it's a little more tricky because of just the sheer confidential nature of refugee resettlement. We tend to go a little overboard when it comes to protecting uh, their uh, yeah, their identity should, yeah. mm-hmm. and where they're living and what they're doing. But Uh, There are folks who can help, and they are vetted through background checks, fingerprints, uh, the whole nine yards. Folks who have language skills, if you have the capacity to tutor children, to teach English, and you're willing to volunteer your time, those are things that we certainly uh, need help with. And we'll give this information out at the end of the episode as well. But if someone wanted to get in touch with Gulf Coast JFCS to perhaps um, help out with the grocery shopping, where can they go? They can go to our website, gcjfcs.org or gulfcoastjfcs.org or gulfcoastjewishfamilyandcommunityservices.org. They all get you there. <laughs> all right. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the other programs that are offered by Gulf Coast JFCS. One of the things that we mentioned earlier in the podcast was just how fast you have grown, especially in the realm of workforce development, which is really important, especially nowadays when a lot of folks are looking for work and a lot of folks are struggling. So here's the secret. And, and there is a there is a secret, and the secret is stop working in silos. So for years we have been doing workforce development. Our non custodial parent employment program is perhaps the largest initiative that we have, and that works with parents who don't have custody of their children, but have to pay child support, and maybe they have had trouble getting a job for whatever reason. Some have maybe had a run in with the law. 
And so we work with the courts to help them clear their history to establish a pattern of child support with short-term training that we connect them to. And basically, they go to work and start paying their child support. It's very successful. In all of the years that we've had it, we've supported as many as 20,000 individuals over the years. And so we have the non-custodial parent employment program, and we have now the Tampa Bay Job Links, which was a standalone not-for-profit that was founded by some beautiful ladies about a decade ago and did an exceptional job working with a, again, a unique population of individuals who are transitioning careers. Different from non-custodial parents, maybe they're coming out of the military. Maybe they, you know, are no longer going to be a teacher, but they're transitioning to do something else. And so they work with them providing one-on-one coaching, providing support on how to interview and build a resume to address today's reality because most of these folks have been in their career for some time and they're transitioning. Mm-hmm. So I know that you have the program for you know, non-custodial parents and, and folks who are transitioning. Are there programs as well for folks who are struggling to find a job, who may lack some certain skills, you know, that kind of thing? Is, is this somewhere that people can find help with that? Some of the programs that we offer require a qualification. You don't apply to be in the foster care system. It just kind of, you land there, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the same with the non-custodial parent employment program. You have to be a non-custodial parent with a child support order that's underemployed or unemployed. So if you're not a non-custodial parent, you're not going to be able to get support from that program. However, because we've been able to partner with St. Pete College and with the United Way, we're able to expand that same sort of wraparound touch to people who are in that same boat, but maybe they don't have a child support order, right? You know, the United Way sees a need for parents to be able to work and to support their families. But it's like, well, you guys have these great skills between this program, between that program, or these talents. How do we apply those to the general public? Mm -hmm. And so it allows us now to extend our arms and our reach to others who have need but aren't necessarily in that non-custodial footprint. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the children and family services because you guys are involved in the Heart Gallery, and but you're also involved in making sure that children come back to a safe home as well. You do a lot. Yes, and we're also doing a lot to keep them safe at home before they ever are removed and enter the foster care system. And so a lot of folks don't realize that people call The police, neighbors may call. They see something that is concerning regarding a neighbor's child or something like that, or there's a report of negligence and the sheriff's department responds and maybe they find something, but it's not physical abuse or so harmful to the child, but they need help. The parents need parenting skills. Mm And so in that case, they may be offered the opportunity to enter into a safe at home program like we provide. And through Safe at Home, we basically do intensive case management where we have a licensed therapist, we have case managers, we have others that enter the family as often as needed on a weekly basis. So they may be there three times a week checking in, looking at, are this the child doing their homework? Are you feeding the child properly? 
if it's an infant, are you uh, laying them in their bed properly, you know, to prevent SIDS and these types of things. But they learn through that program and they're able to keep their child safe at home. And we don't make those determinations. The sheriff's department makes those determinations that children are removed for whatever reason, but it's deemed unsafe for the child. And when they enter the foster care system, then we pick up with case management, where the goal is to work with the courts to try to get the child back to the family. But the family has to, based on court order, they have to achieve certain things. Maybe it's drug addiction. And they have to show that they're in a program, that they have been sober for such a long, so long a time, that they're able to now work and provide a safe environment for the child. And so, unfortunately, sometimes that takes years. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, sometimes they never get it together. And, of course, you prefer that that child is with a family member, but that family member has got to be able to keep them safe. Correct. Unfortunately, sometimes... The family members are the enablers in a bad situation, or mm -hmm. they're not in a position themselves where right. they can be helpful. Right, and that's that's unfortunate. We have a lot of children uh, languishing in foster care, and the goal is to not have them be in foster care, but to have them be in loving homes. Sometimes that's with foster parents, adoptive parents, if they've been completely uh, removed and separated from the birth parent. But the desire is for them to be with their natural family if it's safe. How does Gulf Coast JFCS support families coming back together? So we have a family reunification program where when a child is coming out of foster care and being re reunited, even if it's only one year that they've been out of the home, you know, the difference between a 10-year-old and an 11-and-a-half-year-old or a you know, a, an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old. Oh, yeah. That's a different <laughs> child. There's Yeah, there's and, a lot of growth and a lot of change going on. And in, in any year when you're a child, those are pivotal years. Mm -hmm. And so it's so important that the parents are ready to receive this different child. Mm -hmm. And maybe that child is bitter because they want to be home, but they can't be home mm -hmm. because the parents haven't necessarily accomplished and checked all those boxes. And so they blame the system. They get angry. They're upset. And now it's finally time for them to go home, but they're bitter. And you have to work through all of that. So reunification comes in in that critical space and helps children reunite with the family, helps the family reunite with the child with intense supervision and uh, support to make sure that it sticks. Which is wonderful. It gives me a lot of hope to hear that there are programs out there that are both preventive to try and make sure that these families maintain the right path so that they don't have to surrender their kids to the foster system. Unfortunately, Safe at Home is one of those unique, it's almost like a demonstration program, even though it's been around a long time. It doesn't have the funding to do that with all families. And so it's like if you're in this county, you know, you have 40 spaces for Safe at Home mm -hmm. when you really need 120 spaces, right? And so you just don't have the capacity without the funding because it really is an intense in that home, working day in and day out, three, four, whatever is needed, whatever is called for to address that family situation. And the fact that once a family is reunified, you guys do what you can to make sure that the situation doesn't return to something unfortunate again. Right. We are speaking with Dr. Sandra Bram. She is the president and CEO of Gulf Coast Jewish Family and Community Services, a.k.a. Gulf Coast JFCS, on our Be More Unstoppable podcast. 
And one of the most amazing programs that I've seen that you guys have developed, is is it the last couple of years that the call program has come to light? Yes. Which really answers the call for a lot of concerned folks in our community who feel as if what we need when it comes to emergency situations is more support for mental health. And I, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but perhaps a little less law enforcement involvement. Tell us a little bit about the call program. This is really the brainchild of Chief Anthony Holloway in St. Pete, who for years has had a heart for folks who cannot help themselves. So they have a police assisting the homeless. And I think that's really where it began. And then after the George Floyd murder and subsequent protests, he ramped up this sort of we need to act now to address these social issues. So this is something that has been in place for a while. Well, the police assisting the homeless was really not licensed therapy, but it was a softer side of policing where the police are there providing food or meals or socks or things, just checking on the homeless, but recognizing that they, as police officers, cannot solve the underlying issue. And so that informed the creation of the call program the recognition that people call 911 and the police show up with a badge and a gun and you have someone sitting on a corner that's experiencing homelessness or that is in some other crisis, some truant child, and it's like, well, you know, this truant child doesn't need a badge and a gun. You know, why is he not going to school? Mm -hmm. And so... When Chief had the opportunity, because of, I guess, a pot of money that was received, to think about how do I make the best use of this that will allow police officers to do more policing and get the help to the residents that they need, um, he began to research models of these programs across the country and basically designed in partnership with the city of St. Pete this pilot program, and they did an RFP, a competitive procurement, which we responded to, and we were successful in receiving. And then for, I believe, a period of four months, we were piloting. We learned how to work with the police officers. We learned the community. We learned where those hot spots were. And then, separate and different from many other programs across the nation, our social workers are going out in pairs without police. And so the police are not far behind if they need to call them for backup, for help. But they're basically going in and of some 6,000 calls that we've seen since we've began, I believe the number is upwards of 80% of them are involving some type of mental or behavioral health. So these folks who are receiving an answer to a call from a a social worker as opposed to a law enforcement officer, are they calling 911 or is this program a separate number? They're calling 911 Mm -hmm. and 911 vets, right? Mm -hmm. And 911, they can see how many calls have come from this home. This is a habitual caller. We know they have knives in the house, guns in the house. We're not going to send a social worker to respond to that, no matter what it is. So they're vetted and there's a history there that, you know, they benefit. And so they only send to us those. But once we respond and we recognize that this is a person, a family in crisis, for whatever reason, we intervene in the crisis and then we follow up with case management and follow up to check. Are they doing what they said? Are you okay? 
Did you see this person that we connected you to? And then we give them a special number to call. So the next time when you need help, call us. Okay, so they're not... Now they're not overwhelming the 911 system right. with a call that is is technically non-emergency. Right. It's important, right. but it is a non-emergency. So that not only frees up our 911 dispatchers, but it makes sure that we get more, more emergency calls to right. our law enforcement. Right. Okay. How are the social workers protected? I know that you said that there is a vetting process during that 911 call to make sure that this is a, a nonviolent home, that you won't send a social worker to a home that traditionally has things like firearms or weapons or, um, you know, a chance for them to be in danger. But how are these social workers protected? So number one, they're never sent out alone. They're always in pairs. Number two, if they pull up on a scene, whatever it is, and they don't feel comfortable, they don't have to respond. They immediately call the police, even if they get a call and, and they've learned something in the interim between here and there, they don't have to respond. The police will respond. Okay. So the police are available sort of, you know, just at the drop of a dime if needed. But honestly, thanks be to God, and that's the only credit I give because, you know, you never say never. But the community has been very supportive and almost protective to a sense the longer the program exists because they're seeing that their family members, their loved ones are getting the help that they need. And that is from social work, from human services interventions, not from a police with a badge and a gun where they feel like they've created a crime Mm -hmm. for being in crisis. Have you been able to measure the success of this program in terms of numbers? Um, yes, and I'm you know I could certainly I could send you some stats on that. <laughs> certainly, it's been very successful. I will tell you that I recently saw uh, some communication from the police department that they've seen a drop in suicides in the St. Petersburg area. And they're partly attributing that to this program, although I, we're not attributing it because we aren't doing that research. But they're looking at it because it's a trend and they're trying to see how that relates to the work that we're doing. There was one example where an individual called the police department over 100 times in seven days, 911. Mm. And for every one of those calls, the police have to respond. Yes, And so once we responded and they got into our system, they didn't call us 100 times. They called us, you know, maybe nine times in that same week. So you can see. So are you providing education to these folks who are in crisis and you're teaching them, you know, this is an emergency, this is not? uh, Well, we're not saying it's not an emergency. We would never tell them that. Okay. But we're basically saying when you need help, call us. Okay. Because we know that that person's not carrying a gun. Mm-hmm. Is there prayerfully? <laughs> to your knowledge, are there any plans to expand this program, perhaps to other cities, to other counties? Is that something that the St. Pete Police Department is working on doing? I will tell you that um, the chief is slammed with calls from across the country and the world from people looking at the program, and he's got a lot in the works. That, you know, some of it is like he has to say himself, but there's a lot of attention to the program, which is great. And others are moving in this direction. 
So now that we've got these navigators out there and social workers that are working and responding, it's like, well, while you're out there, do you think you can carry this? Is it naloxone, the emergency treatment for people who are experiencing a drug overdose? So Pinellas County basically were like, well, since you call folks who are already out there, can we add some people here to the rest of Pinellas County? And you guys start carrying these kits and educating folks who are at risk of drug addiction or who are coming from drug rehab centers and how to administer this stuff, giving it to families. And it's like, sure. So you just solved another problem because we're already out there. Yeah, I was going to say, while you're there. (laughs) Yeah, it's just kind of like that. you guys mind just like sliding this into the conversation? Yeah, Yeah. so it's interesting. Mm -hmm. But it's a thoughtful way to ensure, again, use of, of resources appropriately where needed, and minimizing administrative burden. Dr. Sandra Bram, this has been so fascinating. And I'll say it again, from the beginning of this episode, we talked about the fact that Gulf Coast JFCS is involved in so much in this community. I know that there are certain things that we didn't get to touch on today. Is there anything that you would like to mention that perhaps we didn't cover that you feel is worth putting out there? Uh, Yes. How about we're going to turn 50 years old in 2024? Oh, that's right. Um, And so we are just now beginning to plant the seeds for our 50th anniversary. And we're looking forward to really showing the community who we are, reintroducing ourselves, because many didn't know that you don't have to be Jewish to receive services, that we are not, you know, a religious organization, but that we were established on Jewish values. And that's how we work. And so we're excited to reintroduce ourselves to the community to, and to expand the awareness about what we do. And I want to thank you for giving us that opportunity here on WEDU. Well, I want to thank you for your time today and for sharing your stories and for sharing your time. Before we wrap, I just want to throw it out there. You guys cover affordable housing, Jewish family services, behavioral health refugee services, children and family, workforce development, elder and disabled services, so much. And as you mentioned, it's like a giant tree of life. Mm -hmm. There are so many branches and you cover so many things. So we do encourage not only folks who perhaps need your services, but are you in need of volunteers or community support? How can people come to you to help you? Absolutely. The, the easiest way is to visit our website, which is Gulf Coast JFCS or GCJF, as in Frank, C as in cat, S.org. And on that front page, you'll see our pillars of service and all of our programs. There's also an opportunity to hit info or to hit donate. And so either of those is going to get you a response info. You can fill out what you're looking for, what you're interested in. You want to volunteer. You want to help set up, you know, homes for refugees. You want to provide tutoring to our Good Afternoon Friends and Amigos program down in Waimama, uh, which is a wonderful after-school program that we have here in Hillsborough County. There's so many ways, and we've only touched on a few, so we'll get you plugged in. You guys are doing some really excellent work, so thank you. And we need more employees, and, and we have great bosses, and we really are thoughtful about our workforce We're engaging uh, so much and changing the culture and thinking about, you know, how we work in a hybrid environment. 
I think we're a very cool organization, and we, we are looking for employees. We're looking for case managers. We're looking for administrators, accountants, and we're looking for so many in so many fields that are interested in human services, and all of those jobs are also available on our website. Excellent. Dr. Bram, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Be More Unstoppable. And special thanks to our sponsors, Tampa General Hospital, Registry Tampa Bay, Nielsen, The Bank of Tampa, and Florida Blue. This podcast is produced by WEDU-PBS in West Central Florida. For more information, please visit wedu.org slash unstoppable.